welcome to the National Rural Education Association podcast, The Rural Voice. It is our pleasure to be with you again, and uh, we want to thank our sponsor, Win Learning. Win Learning is a uh, soft skill provider for uh, students to uh, for career interests, and Steve Fang does a great job with the company, and we're just really excited that they're sponsored this year, and they're re-upping next year, so we are excited to have Win Learning on board to sponsor this podcast. I'm joined today with my co-host, Dr. Chris Silver. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I am great, and uh, I just want to tell Steve Fang, thank you for continuing to sponsor our efforts, because um, our podcast is growing exponentially, and we're getting getting a lot of requests for different things. And we, we hope so. I don't, we I don't hope think, so. Yeah. We hope so. And I don't think today's going to be real controversial. I think it's going to be exciting for our listeners, exciting for me. I know. So I'm going to introduce our guest today. Now, first and foremost, she is a keynote speaker at the National Rural Education In Fair Conference, the National Forum to Advance Rural Education. She um, is an entrepreneur, and she is comes highly recommended from the state of Illinois, our uh, state affiliate, Dave Ardrick. It is my pleasure to welcome Sarah Fry to the podcast. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alan, and thank you, Chris, for hosting me today. I'm so happy to be with um, both of you and um, participate in this podcast this morning, and I'm really looking forward to sharing more of my story this fall in Indianapolis when uh, we all gather together for the conference. So I'm looking forward to taking Dave's questions and, and sitting down for a fireside chat to discuss the, you know, my book, The Growing Season and uh, pumpkins and whatever else uh, folks want to talk about that day. Well, we've been supporting your work uh, through Walmart. Uh, I've been buying the melons and, and pumpkins. So I was going to let you know, um, we, we did it in my household. So uh, that's uh, well, exciting. Thank you. So, uh, so the, did you, um, when you, how were they? I guess, I guess I always need to follow that up with uh, how, how did the melons taste? Oh, we, we repeat, uh, repeat buyers. So if that tells you anything, we're good. <laughs> good. Great. Yeah. So, so let, let's talk a little bit and, and I want to start off with just a little story on this. Uh, about two years ago, Dave Ardry called me and said, Hey, do you have a keynote speaker coming up? And that was right before COVID. And I said, we're going to try, you know, the conference, you know, whatever. And uh, he goes, as soon as we go face to face, I have someone you need to reach out to. And of course he mentioned you and the conference and trying to make that connection. So Dave Ardry is really the main connection point for us to be able to get you to be at our conference, but also on the podcast as well. So with all that being said, tell our listeners a little bit about your background and uh, where your farm located and all that good stuff. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm actually from the state of Illinois. Uh, and when I travel around the country uh, and I, and I jump in an Uber or uh, meet people for the very first time and they ask where I'm from, they say, and, and I say, Illinois, they say to me, <clears throat> well, Chicago, <laughs> you know, what a great city. And, uh, you know, I generally, I, I generally smile and, and nod, but I don't, uh, I don't live anywhere near Chicago. Actually, I live in Southern Illinois, which is closer to Kentucky than Chicago. And I grew up in a very, very rural part of the state, um, isolated part of the state by many standards. And uh, I grew up on a small 80 acre farm with my four older brothers. I attended a uh, rural grade school of about all of the total of maybe 60 kids, K through eight. 
Um, and then I went to a very small high school where I think my graduating class was like, uh, maybe there was 18, 18 or 20 of us total in my graduating class. And, um, I had no intentions of, uh, sticking around in, in rural Southern Illinois, everything that I did from the time that I was a small child was preparing me to get off of the farm And I write about that in the book, The Growing Season, and sort of my journey and growing up in rural America, and then um, also about having sort of this this moment where things get very, you know, very very tough. As you know, it's very hard to make a living on uh, 80 acres, especially, you know, a living for, for five kids. And so my four older brothers had all escaped and went off to college and I was the last one left to go and ultimately I ended up making a decision that I not only would buy the family farm that I grew up on um, I would actually grow the business that uh, I had started when I was um, barely 16 years old and ultimately buy farms in rural parts of the country all over America and uh, today, hence the Fry Farms story today, um, Fry Farms is, is the company that I founded and that I'm the CEO of. And we grow fresh fruits and vegetables now in seven different states. And most of what we do and um, where we you know, create jobs and opportunities are in rural communities across the country. That is um amazing really and when you look at it uh i I have to ask because the 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 ocd part of me wants to ask how many acres are you covering now do you know well there are thousands and thousands of acres now uh i can give you but just to give you sort of an idea of the scope of the business every day here in southern illinois at our farm in southern illinois in indiana a um about a hundred semi loads of pumpkins drive off of our farm this time of the year and that's every day and we'll keep that pace up until about october the 23rd or 24th um but it's like that in all of the other uh parts of the country where we grow fresh produce florida georgia illinois indiana arkansas missouri um we even have a farm up in the panhandle of uh, West Virginia, about an hour outside of Washington, D.C., in a small community up there called Shepherdstown. But um, it's a lot of volume that we, you know, we grow a lot of fruits and vegetables, and it's a lot of volume that we typically have to ship out in short seasonal time periods. So millions and millions of watermelons, millions of pumpkins, um, we grow a lot of sweet corn, some veg items, and our products can be found in, you know, national retailers across the country, such as Walmart, Target, Kroger. Basically, wherever you shop, you can find Fry Farms products now. And then, and that's what is, um, that, that's amazing, the numbers and the volume. People don't really understand a lot of times that uh, our, our backbone are our farmers and uh, really our rural farmers that are, uh, you know, locally owned that do a really good job to support our rural communities for jobs and innovation. Um, I, yeah. I kind of want to, yeah, I want to shift to your book because it kind of talks, tells your story. And then if you're, if you're attending our conference, we have worked the agreement out that you're going to be able to receive her book, Sarah's book for the conference and uh, be able to go through it. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about the book, kind of the 
what what made you decide to write a book and then kind of what you're hoping to see out of uh, out of the book when people are reading this? Yeah, the book is um, called The Growing Season, and I think we all have uh, growing seasons and every growing season in everyone's life is, is very unique. So I decided to write a memoir, which is very different than an autobiography and memoir just is sort of like a uh, compilation of photographs of your life. So snapshots from different parts of your life, and then you pull them all together and, and, and what is a, is a memoir. And for me, I felt at there became a point in my life when I felt like I should share more of my story in order to inspire other young women like me especially growing up in rural communities that didn't necessarily know or feel that they had hope for a brighter future and also for the kids in rural communities that felt like you know there was you know that they had to leave in order to better their lives uh, which is very much the feeling that I had growing up and I sort of chronicle that journey uh, and it starts out um, you know I'm at, at a very early age um, is when I you know begin to tell the story and many of the things that I went through both good and bad um, but also you know trying to see the best in some of the worst things that we go through and then ultimately you know ending up in this place where sometimes you know getting ahead means staying behind and for me you know that was kind of a a, a gut-wrenching decision because everything that I had done throughout my childhood was preparing me to leave rural America and um, because I had you know I had given up um, feeling like there was hope or or opportunity here and, you know, my dream was that life in Chicago, you know, that that someday when I, you know, flew into a big city and, and got into a car and the driver said, where are you from? And I said, Illinois. And he said, Chicago. Then absolutely. That's that's where I was going to be from. And that's how in my mind as a kid, I wanted to be known. Um, but as we all know, that, you know, is not really the way the story went. And ultimately, I made different decisions that uh, enabled me to sort of put my stake in the ground here in, in rural America and say, I don't have to leave. I'm going to, I'm going to stay behind and I'm going to build here. And then I'm not just going to build here. I can build all over the country, but be based here in, you know, the heartland. And ultimately that's, that's what we did. And with the help of my brothers, uh, who all came home from college or their new careers that they had started, they came back to rural America to join me in the business that I was growing. And much of that, honestly, uh, you know, has to do with there's a pivotal point in my story in which I'm running my business. I'm selling melons out of the back of a pickup truck. You know, I'm a teenage girl. And ultimately, I start doing business with the nation's largest retailer, Walmart. And um, that afforded me the opportunity to grow in such a way I was very quickly able to, you know, call my brothers and say, hey, there's, there is something 
left here to come home to and and I'm building something and I'm creating something that you know is worthy of our 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 family and and um will create opportunities um for all of us to be able to work together you know just like we did as little kids growing up on the farm working together on the farm um you know to to keep the farm running but this just so happened to be in a much larger way and it- I'm going to say, I'm going to turn it to Chris here in a second for a question, but I was going to comment. I appreciate your honesty on, um, you know, a lot of times we talk to folks and, and they're like, you know, I always wanted to stay in rural and that's why I'm here. And, and I believe them, but there's also a sector of our rural population, rural entrepreneurs, innovators, rural leaders that did aspire to leave. And I was one of those as well. And uh, I'm glad I'm still in rural and part of it. So Chris, you got a question? Yeah, my, my question would be, um, Sarah, like if, if you think about, you know, some of the folks who maybe are at that stage of their life where they're graduating college or maybe they've had a career in an urban center and are thinking about moving back to rural, what advice would you give them? Well, you know, 2020 really changed so much of um, how we, you know, conduct our lives, our careers, and, and so many different things. And what was really interesting is, for me, I, I woke up in Manhattan uh, sometime in March, right before everything shut down, and I was scheduled to fly down to our farm in Florida, we were nearing the harvest season for our spring crop of, of melons down in Florida. And I remember looking out over Central Park and um, I had just hung up with my oldest son, William, who was back at home with his brother, Luke. And he said to me, he said, mom, I'm, I'm really worried about um, this COVID thing. It sounds, you know, kind of serious. And I think maybe you should, you should come home. And, you know, don't go to Florida this weekend. Let's just see what happens. And, and I said, you know, son, I, I, I think you might be right. And so I changed my flight out of LaGuardia from Fort Myers into St. Louis. And then I, uh, I drove back to the farm. And ultimately, it was the following uh, that was on a Friday, I believe. And then by Tuesday, the boys were sent home from school and, and the world shut down. The entire state of Illinois shut down. Um, it was one of the early states where sort of everything got tabled. And, you know, the kids were home. I was home. Um, and I was having to work from home. They were having to learn from home. And there was no preparation for that. It was sort of baptism by fire very quickly. And then learning how, you know, for me, having to, you know, learning how to deal with, uh, you know, employees that were, you know, um, that wanted to continue to work from home. And fortunately, we were geographically diverse and we had many people that worked in our company that performed functions from different parts of the country. And we all sort of communicated online throughout the workday anyway, whether it, you know, was in respect to shipping and receiving you know, booking trucks to transport the fruit or whatever, but it didn't, um, but I mean, obviously you have to have boots on the ground and you have to show up and be in person to harvest crops. So there were a lot of challenges early on with 
COVID that we had to figure out and overcome. Uh, but from an administrative standpoint, you know, most of that really kind of fell into place over the course of just a couple of weeks. And then I learned that I didn't have to hop on an airplane every time a customer wanted to have a meeting or, you know, uh, there were some things in my company, you know, and travel that I was taking that I didn't necessarily have to be there in person for. And then I could, you know, do really sort of conduct a big part of my job remotely. And so the irony is that you know, the place that I had tried to escape from my whole basically young adult life was all of a sudden the escape. So I had friends in New York, I had friends in LA, you know, people that I did business with in Chicago, all of these cities and, and places across the country where people were either in their condos, they were in their apartments, and unless you had a second home, you know, a lot of people couldn't afford to go get a second home or or rent a place or get out of these cities, and people were in panic and lockdown. And although life was somewhat, you know, I mean, there was an incredible amount of stress thinking about how we were going to get our crops harvested um, and if our workers would be able to cross the border and, you know, many, many things that we rely on in our business in order to be able to, to, to harvest the food that ultimately we wanted to feed our fellow Americans um, during the time of a, of a national food, food shortage. Um, that was stressful. But when I look at the flip side of that, I was doing everything, you know, with so much freedom because. I was here. I was in rural America. I could walk outside. I could breathe the fresh air. I could go for a run. I, you know, I could virtually nothing really about my life changed except for a bunch of sort of maybe even nonsensical (laughs) travel that I was doing and, and meetings that weren't, you know, in-person meetings that weren't necessarily, you know, that, that, you know, that important. And, so I recognize, so they're, you know, trying to look and see the good and everything. Um, that was the good that I found sort of in COVID and, you know, during that time period. And the good was also the time that I was able to spend investing in my children. And it meant more family dinners at home. It meant more one-on-one time with all of my nieces and nephews and teaching them more about the business and and having that time and not feeling like I was constantly on a wheel running, 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 and to actually take that time and invest in the young people around me. Now, as that relates to your question about, you know, sort of what I would say to entrepreneurs in rural America, I would say the time has never been better to be raised in rural America. I would say that the time is has never been better to start a business in rural America. And that, you know, especially if we can overcome some of our broadband challenges, which I think we're, we're on our way to doing, um, this is sort of the life during COVID 
that we were all living. If you were living in rural America during during COVID, you had freedoms and flexibilities during a global pandemic that the rest of the world just simply didn't have. You had luxuries that were not afforded to other citizens uh, just simply because you lived in rural America. So the, the, our lifestyle became coveted um, by others. You know, my children started a fresh uh, produce drive through during uh, COVID where they, you know, they served the community and people would drive out in their cars and get crates of sweet corn and melons and, and things where they never had to get out of their car. The kids would put it in the car for them and, and then they would drive off. And they were buying so many bulk produce items because these were folks that knew how to, to can. And, and I also feel a little, you know, I mean, there was sort of a, if you remember, you know, when the, like the, the meat and everything got, uh, you know, there was like a shortage of meat and people were trying to buy stuff up and grocery store shelves were only partially stocked. And, you know, some of the, of our favorite things, you know, the, the manufacturers ran out of. I never remember feeling like I had to run to the grocery store because most people growing up in rural America, they have a, they have a freezer, an extra feet freezer that they, you know, that they, they keep meat and, you know, um, extra supplies in. So, you You're know, speaking I my language. Realized, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I realized that, um, wow, this is, this is really kind of, a, it felt like, you know, what was necessity before, uh, felt like a luxury that so many other people didn't have. And I think that um, with the way that technology has connected us and this new appreciation for a rural lifestyle, opportunities have never been better. Um, yeah, I, would, I would agree. Growing up in rural communities. Yeah, I would agree, especially the entrepreneurial side are moving back to rural because of broadband and, and there's going to, and, and I am, I agree with you as well. We're seeing an increase in, in the availability and the help, and we're going to see more of that as we move from state help, obviously local community help, which we saw during the pandemic and then federally as well. Um, you, you know, let me ask you this question. What do you want our attendees to take away from your Q&A session with Dave on stage at our conference? What should they be, what should they come for? And then what do you, what do you want them to take away from your talk? You know, it's different for different people. It's like when you read the book, there are different takeaways. Um, some people, you know, take away a, a story of grit and resilience and, and overcoming fears and obstacles and other other folks take away sort of a, a sense of, of uh, you know, like a sense of almost peace and forgiveness and how you, you know, can always find the good in any bad situation. If you look hard enough, it's like a bad piece of fruit. You know, they say farmers don't grow any, <laughs> any ugly fruit. Um, and that would be true because even the ugly fruit that we ultimately end up pulling um in our farms we find a purpose for it because we look beyond just the visual imperfections of the fruit because it still tastes great and you can turn it into an ingredient um, like what we do with our watermelons if a watermelon isn't perfect on the outside but it still tastes great on the inside we look past that imperfection and we turn it into juice so you know my hope for the conference is that uh you know ultimately 
uh, folks become inspired uh, by by my story and and also you know realize that their their job as educators uh, is so incredibly important because there are so many more Sarah Fry's out there. I'm not not the only Sarah Fry, you know. There are Sarah Fry's in, in every rural part of America. And, you know, sometimes it just takes, you know, sort of that special person. I, I, I know that I had teachers that really had a huge impact on my confidence and um, ultimately my inspiration for, you know, continuing to to dig deep and, and further my education and, and ultimately make the decisions uh, that were necessary to, uh, you know, help me sort of take a chance and start my own business. And there were so many people that encouraged me along the way. So I would, I would hope that, you know, out of my story, folks are re-energized and um, ultimately want to go back out there and, and continue to reinvest in, in our, in our youth um, with a, with a new sense of, of purpose. And I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think that's the positive hope. And that's one of the reasons that we're pushing to do in-person and hybrid at our conference, because the hope of moving forward, moving past some of the challenges past year, we, we, we always close out the, the podcast with a kind of a question futuristic a little bit. Uh, so Harry Potter's uh, wand and, and you're going to get one wave to change anything in rural America or rural education, but you can't wave your wand for more one waves. So it's one time only. What would be your thing you would change about rural America, rural education, or whatever it may be? Oh, man, I only have to pick one. Hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, well, the, ine- the immediate need, just as simply because of where we've been, would be rural broadband. I want it in now. I want every child in America to have access um, to high-speed internet. And the reason for that is that we came out of this pandemic, and I think there were many, many pockets um, of the country that were the kids, you know, so much as we, the country focuses on urban poverty, but rural poverty is, is very quiet, and, and folks don't necessarily talk about rural poverty, especially in Washington, D.C., but it, it exists. And, you know, much of the reason why it is so quiet is, is ultimately people in, in rural communities are not necessarily used to asking for help. These are folks that are sort of used to uh, doing things on their own, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and, you know, getting by on their own. And ultimately, um, I feel like there were a lot of kids that got left behind um, during the pandemic because they did not have access to uh, the, the better technology. And uh, I think that that's extremely important for our communities. And so if I had to change one thing that was like a quick fix, I would turn that on right now. I think that's a great uh, wave of the wand. And and I want to kind of hit on something as we close. You mentioned that the voices sometimes are not heard and or not thought about sometimes in D.C. And I think uh, Dave Ardry brought this up at a meeting one time, and I'll give him credit. And he may have, st- I'm pretty sure he stole it from someone else. Um, 
don't let our resi resiliency or grit equal that we don't need the help in rural communities. Just because we take care of each other doesn't mean we don't need the extra help. And I think that's true what you're talking about. I think it's true what your message was today. So thanks for being here, Sarah. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. We look forward to seeing you in Indianapolis and, and really Absolutely. getting to meet you. So Chris, I'll let you close us out. Well, we definitely appreciate you uh, being with us today, Sarah, and we hope that um, our listeners will make it to the conference and hear your hear your address. And I think uh, we're all excited to hear what comes out of it. So we certainly appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you so much, Alan. It was great being with both of you. And I look forward to catching up with everyone in November. All right. Well, from all of us here at National Rural Association Podcast, the Rural Voice, uh, that's myself and Alan signing off. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast and website are those of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and do not represent the affiliated universities and or any organization affiliated with the hosts. This podcast and the accompanying material, including our website, represent the opinions of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and their guests to the show and website. The content here should not be taken as medical or professional advice and should be used at your own risk. The content here is for informational purposes only and should be understood as such. The Rural Voice podcast or its hosts do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast, and the information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. Further, the content of this podcast are pro the property of the National Rural Education Association and are protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark law. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without prior written permission. By listening to this podcast, you agree to the terms and conditions, and while we make every effort to ensure that the information that we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Thank you.